Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bankroll Burners, the poker podcast for players who can't stop getting it in bad. I'm Mike. And I'm Josh. And as always, we are going to be bringing you some poker hands that we played recently. We're going to be discussing them with each other, talking about how we could have played them better, walking through them street by street. You know how it's going at this point. Um, and yeah. uh, we're, we're also going to be doing something a little new. Josh, you want to talk about that? Yeah, we're going to try a new segment today called Fumbling Fundamentals, where we let you in on some of our theory discussions that we often have offline and are hoping to bring to the podcast. Today we'll be discussing bomb pots and when to get value. So stay tuned, and once we finish our hands, we'll be moving into our that new segment. Absolutely. And one thing I'm really excited about for this segment is, you know, we're going to talk about these these topics, uh, you know, and have really kind of interesting in-depth discussions where we feel like we're sort of getting a handle on it, really getting in the weeds. And then someone someone can just let us know in the comments immediately how dumb everything we're saying is. So that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, that 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 should be good. This is why we named the segment because we're sure that we actually don't have a great grasp on fundamentals. So anyone who wants to chime in with opinions, please don't hesitate to type type us a comment. Exactly. All right. Well, cool. So I think uh let's let's get into our hands here. I think you're gonna take point on this one, Josh. So go ahead. I am. I am. So I'm uh, I'm back at Encore for this one. I was able to fit in one session last week. Uh, this is Encore Boston Harbor. This is the 1-3 game, $500 cap. You know, again, it's a it's a deep game. It plays big. It's a really fun game. Uh, in this particular uh, in this particular hand, uh, I was uh, playing at a table, actually in a pretty good position. I was uh, a couple seats to the left of a couple guys who who were playing quite uh, aggressively, quite pretty crazy. Uh, one of them was definitely getting close to being a certified maniac. I mean, I really think he had close to 100% VPIP. He was just, like, shoving all the time, like, just check shoving, oh. and everyone kept folding because, like, <laughs> he was shoving for a lot. Oh, my God. That's awesome. By the way, for those of you who aren't familiar with VPIP, that is voluntarily put chips in pot. So someone with 100% VPIP is playing all of the hands, which is exactly what we love to see from someone from our right. Of course, he stacked me uh, as he as he managed to hit a set. <laughs> but that is the benefit uh, of playing like a maniac and playing all your hands is that when you do hit, you know, and someone is like, well, I've had enough of this guy, then you're, you're going to get paid. So... You know, I'm very Absolutely. happy to have him at the table. I will certainly be looking for him in, in future games. Yeah, the lesson here for everyone in the audience is if someone's really pushing you around and you're getting sick of this shit, do not under any circumstances try to play back at them because they absolutely will have the nuts. Yes, I, you just say that because you want to play like a maniac and you don't want our <laughs> listeners to, to look you up. Uh, yeah, no, if you're playing against me, you should always call. That's That's probably true. Um, okay, so you're playing at a table. You're playing at a great table, sounds like. Yeah, it's a, exactly. So in, in this particular hand, this, this the, the, the main maniac, the main yak, uh, isn't, isn't going to be part of the hand. But there is another guy who uh, I'll talk a little bit about after the hand, just because at this point, I have basically just sat down. This is one of the first hands that I play. Um, again, kind of lo looking at the action, like it's, it's basically just gotten around to me under the gun and a couple people have been putting the straddle on. Seems like there's, there's good action and it's encouraging it. So of course I'm happy to put the straddle on as well, uh, as, as we do at the, so it's, so we're playing one, three, six, we're going to be about 500 effective as that's what I bought in for. And, and both, uh, both other players in this hand are going to have me, uh, plenty covered. What's the standard open over a straddle in this game? It really varies, and uh, I will get to that, but I, I would say ordinarily the standard open without a straddle is 15 uh, over a 1-3 game. And so the, the standard open over a straddle is usually only 20. I mean, you know, it's less proportionally, but it is higher than the, than the, than the 15 over the, over the 3. So usually around 20, I'd say. Yeah, and that's pretty common from what I've noticed. I mean, like in the 2-2 game in Jacksonville, you know, the standard opens 10. And then if there's a straddle on, it's 15. So it's not like it really doubles the the standard open size. So, okay. All right. De de so. Definitely something that, right, as you go up in stakes, the, the open kind of becomes closer towards like 3x, 2.5x, like you might expect it to be, you know, in theory. But in this 1-3 deep game, people just, you know, if you race to 10, you're going to get six callers. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay. So uh, I, I'm in the straddle, 
Um, and it is going to fold all the way around to the small blind. Another one of these hands. I think I had one of these last week, but it's just the ones that I keep playing and getting in trouble in. So clearly I need to keep talking about them. Yeah, uh, blind versus blind is so hard to play as like a cash game player because, you know, a lot of, like it's something you don't often get to do because if there's no straddle on, then you're probably just chopping the blinds. And then if there is a straddle on, you know, it it's it just doesn't happen that often. So, yeah, yeah, hard, hard hands to play. So uh, what's going to happen here is the small blind is going to be the main villain in this hand. He limps for, for six. The big blind now does something very strange. He raises it up to 15. So this is why, you know, you ask the standard straddle open and I'm saying, you know, usually it's 20, but this guy raises to 15 over a limp. And now I'm sitting in the straddle with eight, five of diamonds. And, you know, I'm basically thinking, like, I, I just feel like I can't possibly fold, like, basically any suited hands to this, like, sizing. Agreed. Agreed. You do have to call with uh, the 8-5 eight, eight, of diamonds, although that is not, not a great hand. Um, I will say that, that, you know, a lot of times when someone makes a small open over a limp, it is not a very strong hand. It is certainly not a premium hand. Uh, at the very least, it can't, can't really be aces or kings or probably queens yeah. or jacks. Yeah, that's... So, you know, that's kind of nice. Yeah. I, I mean, do you think I, do you think there's any merit to, to three betting here? Like, I just felt like that was just way too loose. I mean, I'm in position on these two. So it's not like, you know, I'm, I, it's not like I have to three bet and I'm getting such a good price. And I, I can reasonably expect the small blind to come along a lot of the time, too. And I'm going to be in position on both of them, which is rare for being in the straddle. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that three betting with eight five suited under any circumstance is what we might call a spew. So, well, <laughs> Maybe I need to incorporate a little spew. Anyway, I call the small blind calls. So kind of go everything going as expected. Again, just kind of a couple things to think about that small raise size. Small blind has limps. You know, I've just called. So small blind double flatted, I should say, limp called. Sure. Um, and at this point, there's 45 in the pot. You know, we've got piles behind. Um, and the flop is going to come 8-4-3 rainbow with the three of diamonds. So we've got... Uh, Top pair, we've got a pretty bad kicker, but that kicker does lead to a backdoor straight draw, and we do have a backdoor flush draw as well. Okay, okay. Eight, four, three, the three of diamonds. You have eight, five of diamonds. You are in position to two villains, pots 45. What does the small blind do? So this is where the hand starts getting interesting. The small blind leads for 45. Um, wow, okay, so small blind pots it. Correct. And, and again, I've just sat I've just sat down at this table, so you know I don't know necessarily if this guy is you know doing this a lot, if he's donking a lot, if he's you know how he's playing, if he's like super tight, and this is just indicative that he just like has an extremely strong hand here or what. Again, I'll I'll talk a little bit more about his tendencies at the end, but you know I don't really I don't want to spoil anything or or give anything away at this point. Uh, okay, okay, fair enough. So I mean. You know, nutted hands he can have here, 3-3, three, 4-4. Three, four, four. He probably doesn't have 8-8. Eight, eight. I think most people are going to raise that out of the small blind. So, And you're also blocking the crap out of that. So 3-3, three, three, four, 4 would be the nutted hands. He can't really have a combo draw, given that it's a rainbow board. I guess he could have, like, 5-6 for an open-ender, 6-7 for a gutter. He could also have a weird suited two-pair type hand, like, I guess, 4-3. I don't know. Pretty weird. Probably a probably a gut shot would be my inclination, like a pair plus gut, or no pair plus gutter, but like a second pair or like a gut shot. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it could be something like you know, kind of what I have, right? Like a pair and a good backdoor. Like you know, maybe he's got know, eight five of clubs. Maybe he's sure. got five four of you know hearts, something like that. It's kind of a pair and some sort of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So the big blind folds, and I think I, I think I have a square call here. I mean, it is a big bet, and I know you know we when, when you're thinking about donks, you know, there is a school of thought that kind of says there's two kinds of donks, where the smaller ones, as we've kind of waxed poetic about, are, are often you know top pair weak kicker or, or weak draw sort of hands, and bigger ones can sometimes be indicative of, of more nutted hands. You know, but but I would say a lot of those nutted hands tend to be ones that like you know unblock the board. You know, like if you flop a straight or something like that, where, you know, mm. people, it's one of these things where, again, you know, even people who don't understand theory actually kind of intuit the theory that, oh, if I have a straight, people can have all sorts of sets, two pairs and whatever, right? Which sure. which is like kind of how the theory goes and, and people kind of intuit that, I think, a lot. 
Sure, although, of course, there's not a straight possible on this board. I mean, I don't right. even know that he would take a set this way. I mean, this is just really bizarre. Like, you have to call one street. I mean, I might get yeah. cautious if the turn is something crazy. But, yeah, you, you can't fold this. I, I agree. And I think my top pair, I just have to make the call. So I do. And we've got 135 in the pot at this point. Um, we've got 440 behind. And the turn is going to come the Ace of Spades, which completes the rainbow. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's something that shouldn't interact with either of your hands at all. Right. One, one would think, right? And now it is possible, if we're thinking about bluffs that he can have, like gut shots, you know, there is some hands that we could think about are like ace-five, ace-deuce. Those are hands that were, were gutters on the uh, on the flop and now have uh, run into a, a top pair. Sure. And that's actually a really good point. And, you know, he might even have offsuit combos of all those hands. So it's, it actually could comprise a sizable portion of his range if he plays like gutters this way, which I think we're assuming he does, given how weird this line is. He must have some gutters in there. So, yeah, actually, you're right. This actually could interact with this hand. OK, but what he's going to do is, is it continues getting weird. He bets not the same bet, but actually a down bet. He bets 40 now. And wow. here's and here's where I kind of look at this hand and I think I made a mistake. You know, this is a spot where I feel like when he bets so small, he's kind of indicating that he's like scared of this ace. You know, he maybe he does have like a pair below the eight. Like maybe that's the sort of hand that he donked with, like fives, sixes, or or maybe I mean like I don't a, know. Yeah, yeah, like a spaz with with a with a, a low pair. Yeah, people do that all the time. Sure, sure. Or, at this level. Or maybe he's got something like right, like a better eight, like a an eight six, eight seven, eight nine, ten eight, something like that. And now he's kind of really down betting because he wants to, you know, keep betting, but he's worried about that ace and thinks now, you know, he could be beat, whereas before he was more confident. Yeah, I, I think that I will say, I guess, a couple things here. One, I don't ever think he has an eight, to be honest with you. Like I've okay. never seen somebody donk pot with top pair. I, I don't think I've ever seen it. It's just that's be really. That's a good weird. point. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I played a good amount of poker, and I, I've never seen someone do that. So I, I don't really think he ever has an eight. I mean, he could have two pair. He could have an eight four or eight three. Um, but he, I don't think he just has a naked eight or like ace eight. So yeah, I mean, this is certainly feels like a see where I'm at bet type of thing. And so I could even see like nine nine if he's limping that. I mean, we don't know what type of player this is. Maybe he's limping nine nine. So this could be nine nine. Um, could be could be seven sixes fives like you said. Uh, yeah, because the interesting thing here, right, is I'm I'm almost thinking, you know, to this bet, you know, am I supposed to raise and take advantage of the weakness? But now, as you're kind of describing these hands, like really, he shouldn't have nine nine or better. So any sort of raise, you know, is really only getting it's just not working, right? It's just doing the opposite of what it should, which is it's folding out all the hands worse. And it's getting called or shut, you know, three bet by any hand that's like better, like a flop two pair or a set that he just decided to take this tiny sizing for some reason. Yeah, it's pretty weird. I mean, I, I feel like he doesn't have a set here. Like, I don't think he's taking the sizing with a set. I, I Because the, what I was going to say is I have seen players do this weird down bet thing with sort of like when they like make the nuts, they'll like down bet to somehow disguise their hand. I've definitely seen that weird sort of thing um, from certain player types, but I, I don't even know what hand, like, makes the nuts, like... Here. Right, like it would have to be 2-5, which right. just seems it's loose even for... Yeah. yeah. And there's so, and I have a 5, so there's only three combos of that, and, it, and it's probably not a hand that most people are limping. Yeah, even from the small blind, so... You're right. Yeah, I, I kind of think this is, like... I think this is just a call and evaluate River. I think he probably has like seven seven here, honestly, like a lot. So yeah, so uh, so so I do call. I I you know I was kind of thinking as I was describing the hand and as I was thinking about it after that you know maybe I should have raised there as a bluff, but I actually don't think that makes sense just because you know he he really shouldn't have any hands better than mine that are actually going to fold, right? Yeah. No. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I yeah. Mean, if he's really bad, he might fold 9-9. But again, he shouldn't really have that hand much anyway. So Yeah. Uh, so the, the river is now going to come a 9. <laughs> okay. Uh, which and completes no draws. Which it completes absolutely no draws. Okay, yeah. 
And he now bets 75 into 215. So it's about a third pot. Uh, we've got, you know, tons left behind. Uh, he, he bets 75 into 215. And this is, again, a spot... I mean, you know, it's it's a, it's another, you know, tiny bet in relation to the size of the pot. And again, I kind of just think, you know, given given the, the, the you know, his hand, given... Like, given how he's played this hand with the donk, the giant down bet, you know, my, I, I kind of lean towards a call here thinking about it in, in retrospect, but I don't, you know, interested to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, you're getting four to one. So, right, you have to call 75 to win 280. So it's, it's a little less than four to one, but you're basically getting four to one, which means you have to be good here one out of five times, 20% of the time. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I don't really feel like we're good once he bets the river here. It doesn't really make sense to me that he would bet the river with anything worse than what we have. Like, I don't know. It's very weird. I mean, the whole hand is so weird. I might call just because I'm curious. Like, are we good here 20% of the time? Like, I don't really know. I, I really don't know. Like, I'm totally lost. Like, this is one of those hands where I don't really think it matters what you do, because, like, you will almost never be in situations like this again. And so if we think about it right. from, like, a long-term standpoint, it just doesn't matter. So I, I might just call, like, to I was just out of pure curiosity, or I might fold out of self-preservation and not care and just be like, whatever, I'll figure this player out later. Clearly, he's a wackadoodle. He's going to do some more dumb shit. So... Yeah, and I was kind of thinking, and I, I think that's totally fair. And I was kind of thinking, like, wow, like you know, what value hands does he have that are doing this? Is the thing, like, you know, you say, you know, what what does he have that I beat? And I'd say, well, I mean, what about all those missed draws, right? Is he taking like six, seven, like this? And he's just like taking this super weird sizing because you know players leveled themselves into being like, well, if I bet small, it'll look like I'm doing a milky value bet, so I'm going to bet small. Yeah, when really, like, that just prices me into call with, like, everything. Like, do you think there's any way he... I, I kind of... I agree with you that he shouldn't really be doing this with worse value, right? Like, yeah. shouldn't that... Like, any sort of sixes, sevens, fives should should definitely just be, like, Check. should, like checking back here, right? Or but checking, I, you mean. I guess what I'm thinking, though, is, like, because of the see where I'm at bet on the turn, and I'm almost certain that's what that was, I don't think he ever has a bluff. I think he has a, a marginal made hand on the turn. I think he might even have literal eight, nine right now. I think that is entirely possible. So, um, yeah, I mean, although I did say, I don't really think he has a naked eight based on his flop bets. So maybe I'm contradicting myself. I really don't know what he has. Like, that's why I'm just like, what the heck? I mean, yeah, and I that's why I thought I'd call it because I would, I would call out of curiosity. I would. Yeah. And I think, I think you make a good point that we don't talk about much. That is, you know, it's, in situations like these that are like it's blind versus blind, there's a donk, there's a down bet. It's just such non-traditional play. You know, as you say, you're not going to face it enough that like theoretically you need to know what to do. But it's good to get like the understanding of your opponent one way or another, right? Yeah, yeah. Because exactly. you want to know what they're doing with this. So that's kind of what I was thinking is like, okay, what is he limp calling with out of the small blind? Donking pot on the flop. You know, betting tiny on the turn and then and then making another bet on the river, and I and so I do wind up calling, and I think you're you're kind of spot on here that it was sort of a see where I'm at bet on on the turn as he flips over nine nine. Ha! Ah, got him. Which you did kind of call. I mean, <laughs> and I think it's just one of these things where I'm like, wow, like you know, in retrospect, like it kind. I, it doesn't make sense, right? Because like nine nine just shouldn't play any like nine nine shouldn't play the flop and the preflop like that. Right. But as played, it kind of makes sense because it's mm -hmm. like, well, you know, if you you had an overpair on the flop, you're scared of the turn and you make a small bet, and then suddenly you just make like the effective nuts on the river and you want to keep betting. Although why he took that sizing is is beyond me. Well, he got. I mean, if he'd gone larger, would you have called? I don't know. I think it's just. <laughs> I, I guess I probably I might I like I just think it was such a weird hand like I might still have called out of curiosity like you know if he had gone a hundred I feel like I probably would have called I mean if he had gone two hundred or shoved or something probably not oh yeah I mean if he shoves there it's a super easy fold of course but yeah yeah I mean I don't know yeah what a weird hand but I mean that's just the sort of thing you see at this level and you know it's like you gotta ultimately players doing weird things like that. Is how you make money. So, and I did feel, I will say, I did feel a little bit better about it, sort of in the long term. As I, you know, as I watched him play, he was sitting next to the other maniac, 
and and he was they were like buddies and he was definitely also like playing very strange he was raising a good amount preflop so i don't know what he was doing with in this hand with nine nine um and then he was just donking all the time with just like random hands like hmm. exactly those sort of hands like pair plus straight draw like pair plus you know just pair like just doing donks with like all sorts of crap and like sure. he did continue for multiple streets on some occasions so it made me feel better about my call uh but you know it's it's just kind of one of these things where again yeah it, it almost is like if he's going to keep doing this then i don't need to call because eventually we'll see anyway if he keeps doing this yeah so. right right which is sort of like you know the other side of the coin so I don't really think it like ultimately again like this is how you deal with weird situations like this is not what makes a winning player at one three or even really at any level for that matter so i think it's just sort of like huh like chalk it up to a strange hand and you know yeah i just thought it was a fun one to to discuss and think about some of the weirdness of uh you know the the one three streets oh absolutely and it's like it's good to kind of get in the heads of these players because you will encounter people doing things like weird donk bets and and all that kind of stuff. So, and down right. bet. Yeah. Um, all right. Dunk well, bet think... down bet is even worse than dunk bet same bet. Oh, dunk bet down bet. Man, that's... I don't see that a lot. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> no, me neither. Uh, well, anyway, you know, just a, just an interesting hand and uh, happy to move on to yours. Were you... Uh, were you back in uh, in Jacksonville, or is this another hand from from Philly? No, this was so yeah. All right, so we're we're back in Jacksonville here, and my buddy was visiting me in town, and he doesn't play much poker. So we we wanted to go together. We wanted to sit at the same table together, have some drinks, have a few laughs. You know, not really yeah. there to to grind so much as to to joke around and have fun. So I'm always there to grind. Of course you are, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I made that call with eight five. Anyway, carry on. Exactly. Um, so, you know, we sit down at a 2-2 game and just to have a bit of fun. And, of course, it turns out to be the worst 2-2 game of all time. So this game was so nitty. Nobody was deep. I set attempted to set up river shoves. And, and mind you, this game has a $200 cap. So setting up a river shove is not very hard. But I no. tried to set up so many river shoves in these games and everyone would just fold to my turn bet, whether it was for bluff or value. Like any bet. <sighs> Over like thirty five dollars, you simply could not get called for the life of you. And was it nitty? Was it nitty pre flop also, or was it yes. sort of like people were just kind of okay? Yes, I was gonna say, or were people just limping in on you know pre flop, but then folding to any slightest aggression on the flop? Yeah, so it was like yeah, people were limping a lot pre flop. Almost nobody raised pre flop ever. I, I was not able to get a single three bet in the whole night because it simply like there just weren't enough pre flop raises. Wow. Um, yeah, and. Uh, this gentleman who I played with many times, who is the worst person ever for a game, he buys in for $30 and sits and plays almost no hands until he gets stacked and then buys in for another $30. Uh, so he was there, uh, (laughs) like, and nobody would straddle at one point. I was even doing blind double straddles because they don't allow real double straddles. Uh, so I was like talking to the guy to the right of me. I was like, if you straddle, I'll blind 10. So that I was like trying to do just about anything to drive the action and nothing was going. So worst wow. table of all time. Um, anyway, but what are you going to do? I mean, we, I didn't want to mess with a table change. Cause like I said, I was there with my buddy, you know, we didn't want right. to, you know, it's a headache. So, but we still got an interesting hand out of this. So. Excellent. Well, uh, let me just preface by saying if someone raises you fold anyway. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> go go um, ahead. So, we are playing and early on in the night. There was one particular player at the table who I was very glad he was there. Um, not because he was like spewy, but because he was just really bad. Like he was raising and, and betting in spots that made no sense. He was making weird calls, weird folds, like nothing he was doing made any kind of sense. And that was the, that was fine by me. I was trying very hard to play pots with him and it was going pretty well. Uh, eventually okay. he, he did get up and leave. Um, but he was there for like an hour. So that is the villain in this hand. And um, I'm in the big blind in this hand. There is no straddle on. I have ace of spades, five of spades, and we are $200 effective with the main villain. Uh, okay. Sound good? Yeah, it does. All righty. So it limps to the, or sorry, it folds to the low jack who limps. Uh, and then the. Yep, <laughs> pretty good. And then the hijack, uh, who is our friend, our dear friend, 
uh, not my buddy, but the guy who we are trying no, to play shots with. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he makes it twenty dollars, which is large. I mean, that's a big raise. But like he, like I said, he'd been doing stuff that made literally no sense all night. So I read. I there's nothing to read into that raise. Um, and has he part. been raising occasionally pre-flop, yes. and then you just see his hand later, and it's like nine seven offsuit or yes. something. Exactly. For example. Exactly. Um, not it wasn't literal nine seven offsuit, but I think jack seven offsuit. So yes, um, that's a premium. Yeah, exactly. So um, this guy is just he's just clicking buttons. So he makes a 20 um, button calls and then it folds to me in a big blind. And I have ace of spades, five of spades. And yep. I like to just call and the limper calls as well. So we're four ways. So but before before we go to the flop action, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on my call. I'll explain myself in a bit, but I want to hear your thoughts first. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I think, you know, if we call, the limper is almost certainly going to call because of how people think, you know, we have the suited ace. We're pretty shallow, especially when the when the raise is so big. So, you know, three betting, it's we'd have to make kind of a weird sizing. I, one thing I'm kind of interested in, like con- considering, would be making like a weirdly small three bet in the hopes of like isolating the hijack. Just because I think if we like, you know, if, even if you bumped it up to like 50 here, like the limper is going to fold. And there's, a, and there's like a decent chance that the button folds as well. And then, you know, we're heads up with the betting lead against the bad player. Uh, so that, that's kind of my only consideration is to kind of make this weird, like a non-standard play just to try and thin the field. Because it seems like if he's just button clicking, you know, the hijack may come along regardless. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And I wish I had done that. I did not think of it in the moment. In the moment, my thought was, well, a standard three bet size here would be $100, which is not something I really ever want to be doing with Ace of Spades, Five of Spades, with with Ace Five suited at a $200 effective. Like, you know, your suited wheel aces are really hands you want to play a three, at least a two street game, if not a three street game with. You know, yeah. you know, you want to be able to float and, and have a dynamic board, like take advantage of dynamic boards and all these different things and flop draws. But like, so you don't, you don't want to be playing, you know, Ace Five suited at, you know, zero point five SPR. I mean, that's a joke. So that was why I didn't raise. But I actually really like your play from like an exploitative standpoint. Obviously, extremely unbalanced, but at, like when we're playing against these types, this type of player, that's irrelevant. Um, you know, I really like that idea. I think I will incorporate that next time if I'm just trying to isolate a sort of bad button clicky type player to just make the make a small isolating three bet. I, I really like that. So yeah, I, I mean the only the, the real downside there is basically you know if we made a small three bet, I think we'd assume that the the low jack is going to fold. The yeah. high jack, you know, is probably going to call. But the issue is the button might also call just because it's not that much more. And then we're still facing the issue just because it was such a big initial raise of, you know, if, if we made it 50 and two players called, you know, we'd have a one to a, a one SPR, which still doesn't, you know, isn't great for a, for a suited ace, as you've mentioned. So I don't yeah. hate the call either. It's just sort of an idea, especially if you were, you know, maybe a little bit deeper where, you know, even if the button called, we might have, you know, a little bit more play. Well, I, I, yeah, I, that's a really good point as well. But I think in this specific situation, it really would have worked because the button was super tight. So okay, so he might just worked. fold anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I wish I'd done that, but we didn't do that. We just called, um, and we are eighty dollars to a flop, and the flop is ace of diamonds, four of clubs, six of clubs. Um. So there is, we do not flop a flush draw or backdoor flush draw. We do flop a weak top pair in a four-way pot. Um, and I guess we have a backdoor straight draw. We sure do. Um, so I do not lead on this board. I do check. Um, Good. And uh, the low jack checks and the hijack bets 20 once again. The button folds and it's back on me. Uh and I believe I have a square call here. Yeah, I'm really happy to call, especially if this player's kind of clicking buttons. Like, players like this can definitely get scared to aggression, like, post-flop. If they're, you know, so I'd, I'd like to just call and let him keep, like, firing away. Sure. So I call, and the limper folds, the low jack folds, so it's heads up. Would you ever consider leading this board if you had something like pocket sixes or pocket fours or, like, a, a flush draw or something like that? multi-way i don't think so even heads up it's kind of weird because i'm not expecting like 
the original rate, especially heads up, I'm really not expecting the original razor to check this board back, which is sort of the reason you would lead typically. Is right. You don't want the, it to check back. So I don't <clears> think so. I don't think this is a board I would really lead on. Yeah, that's that's fair. I was just wondering. I know we yeah, I know we've both been kind of talking about incorporating leading ranges and kind of trying to get that into our game, but I agree that this board, you know, probably doesn't work that that well for it most of the time. So we're heads up. There's a 120 in the pod at this point. Yep. And I I will say I want to talk a bit more about this player's tendencies because I'd really been watching sure. him and I'd really had the priv- privilege of watching him play a lot of hands because he was playing so many hands. And what I had seen from him was he tended to bet kind of second pair or top pair pretty much pretty liberally. Like basically if he had second pair or top pair, he was betting three streets. That's what I okay. kind of observed from him. Like really like that was his tendency. Um, so in my head, I'm thinking, I, I think he has an ace. Like that's sort of what, another reason I didn't want to raise. It. I was like, he probably has an ace because I don't think he has a six. Because he raised sure. a pre-flop. That sort of like was what was sort of going on in my head. I was like, hmm, I don't know that I'm in the best spot here. I mean, does that kind of make sense? It, when you say, I mean, my question would be, you know, when you say second pair, could that be like a broad, like, you know, kings through tens also? Like, do you think he'd do, he'd be barreling three streets with that kind of second pair? Um, I hadn't seen him do it, but I do think it's possible. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this board is a raise. I mean, I don't think our hand, I think our hand functions great as a call. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, this is yeah. more about the turn. So the turn is a three of diamonds. So, okay. you know, no, the flush draw doesn't get there. We turn open-ended here. Yep. And we, you know, we still have top air. And I check to him, uh, which I think I would pretty much always do. And he makes it yep. 40. He bets again. And this is to me, I was sitting here thinking like, I don't think I'm good. Because of how this player has been playing, I do not think I'm good. Because I, I don't think he, I don't really think he has a lot of sixes. So I think his hand is mostly just like random ASEX. Does that, I bet, I don't know. I don't know if that's really sound logic, but that's what I was thinking in game. Do you see that? Or do you think that that's just like leveling myself? I think it's leveling yourself a little bit. Like, I do think that, you know, he, I mean, I think there are some hands, especially if he's kind of button clicky, like, you know, that, like, I don't know, especially when he's laying us such a good price. I mean, you know, are you good here one in five times that he's like, you know, just taking like seven, eight or some random two cards that he's just decided to bet? Like, is he ever doing something like that? Or is it, you know, in, in your kind of observation, is it is it literally always, you know, top or second pair? That I've seen, he's basically always had top or second pair. I, I guess I have seen him... I've seen him make some pretty speculative calls with like terrible gut shots, but I don't think I've seen him bet them. So the, the other thing, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I, I was just going to say the other thing here is when we have ace five, right? When we have a top pair plus an open ender, we basically have 11 outs, right? Mm-hmm. Assuming he's got just like an ace, you know, let's say ace Broadway or something like that, a better sure. ace than us that's not two pair. And that's actually like, we are we are literally priced in by direct odds to make this call. That's a really good point. And I didn't, I mean, I wasn't considering folding here, but what I was considering was jamming as a bluff. Okay, well, I, I mean, I don't necessarily, I mean, if you kind of think he has top pair, this this to me doesn't seem like the kind of player who's who's going to be doing a whole lot of folding top pairs if he's calling with, like, terrible gut shots. He, he probably wants to call with aces, especially, I mean, I don't know how much attention he's necessarily paying, but, like, you know, this is a very wet board at this point, right? There's, like, right. a ton of draws. There's two flush draws. Like, there's the five, a deuce, a seven, all kinds of just growth, you know, draws. Mm-hmm. So I... I, again, I don't know if he's necessarily paying attention, but even if he's not, from what you've told me, it, it doesn't seem like he's going to be too keen to to be laying down any sort of top pair holdings just based on his player type. Yeah, you're probably right, but I jammed as a bluff, so... Oh, okay, and I mean, I also... I Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think your hand does have enough showdown value, like, given that we're literally getting the direct odds to call, even yeah. against an ace. Yeah. Like... And then, like, you know, it the, the river can easily go check, check, and we win, right? Yes. I I honestly think, like, I don't know. This is probably, it's probably a spew, to be honest with you. Like, why do that? Because we have, like, we can just call and win a lot. 
But for some reason, I really thought I was not good, and I jammed. And you know what? He tanked for a long time, and he folded. So, so what you're so so what you're telling me is uh, to to put it in terms that, that the average poker player will understand is you put him on ace king, and then you jammed with a worse hand anyway. Exactly. I put, I put him <laughs> on ace king. <laughs> um, no, I I don't know. For some reason, I was like really thinking I wasn't good. I decided to turn top pair weak kicker into a bluff. Um, but I think that that is really, you know, bad, probably just bad play on my part. And it worked out for me, but, um, you know, I just wanted to, I mean, did you find out, did you find out what he had? No, no. He looked really upset. Like he really looked upset while he was tanking and he actually showed the dealer his hand before folding it. You know, not that that necessarily means anything, but I, I don't know, like what he would do, like what he'd so upset with possibly possibly ace king and he just like that he did decide like wasn't good maybe kings too i think it's i i would be more inclined to think it's like kings queens jacks because i've seen a lot of players kind of do that whole charade where they're basically moaning about how oh every time i have kings the flop has an ace and then Mm. this guy has you know and he hits it oh it's woe is me like i feel like that's just a very common like live player thing sure so that that would kind of be my guess, just because also like I I am just not convinced he's folding an ace if he's this kind of player, and I just have seen this so much where people are like, oh dealer, why'd you do this to me? You deal me jacks, and then the flop comes an ace. Yeah, no, you're no. probably right. Like you know, I I think I don't know why I did like, or I guess I do know why I did what I did, but ultimately I think it was bad, and you know, not something I would normally do, but I just for some reason did did it this time. It worked out for me, but. Not a good strategy, I would say. No, but it's quite a read. I mean, if you're like quite convinced, I mean, yeah, I, I just think I just think we can call it there. But as is, I mean, you know, you won the hand. And the other thing is, you know, it's kind of a mental game thing where I get it, right? If you're playing a super boring game, like a super boring table, and you're like, well, I just like, this is, you know, I have a top pair. Like, I haven't made a good hand. I have an opportunity to actually win some money and play a fun hand. Like, I'm going to do it. You yeah. know, I I, sure. I do get that because it's like, wow, it sounds like you were having just kind of like a miserable time, you know, not like hanging out with your friends, but like. Yeah, I mean, I was know. having fun, but I was pretty amazed by the game, the, the quality right. of the game. So, all right. Well, we should um we should move along here uh, from from our uh, our our bad play and talk about more our bad thinking. So, well, that's a good point. You know, you can't have bad play without starting to, you know have bad fundamentals. So let's move into this uh, new segment. It's called Fumbling Fundamentals. In this in this segment, we will uh, bring you some of the theory of poker explained poorly as the rest of our show is. Um, t- we're going to try and do kind of a quick overview of some of our discussions and some of our thoughts on a couple, couple really interesting pieces of poker theory. And uh, why don't we start with something that is becoming increasingly more common in a lot of games, you know, across, really across the country, uh, bomb pots. Yeah, bomb pots are great. Uh, they're great for a number of reasons. Uh, one, they drive action at the table. We've talked about this many times before on the podcast, but anything you can do to get players all loosey-goosey is a great way to uh, make more money at that game. So that's, I think, my, my first thought when it comes to bomb pots is just like as an action driver. Uh, but honestly, they can also be a great way to make money in the bomb pot. Yeah, and I would have to guess, you know, that your table that you were at did not play a whole lot of bomb pots. No, there were no bomb pots <laughs> at my table. Well, exactly. Right. And I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, a key part of bomb pots is, you know, you are basically, you are playing a hand where you are you are in it with like eight other people. You know, you are against eight other ranges. You have to really, you know, as you're thinking about your hand in a bomb pot, you really have to think that your hand is very, very strong. And let's preface this just if, in case anyone doesn't know what a bomb pot is or people people don't necessarily play them everywhere. A bomb pot is when it's it's either Hold'em or it's Potlum at Omaha. Everybody gets their hand as usual, but rather than uh, rather than put in blinds, everybody puts in an ante, basically. They put in some amount of money. You know, in a 2-2 game, it might be like 10 bucks. In a 2-5 game, it might be 25 bucks. And you go straight to a flop with all players in the hand. Uh, a lot of the time, and I think the better way to do it is with two boards, so it's a split pot game. Uh, but sometimes they people do single board Omaha or Holden bomb pots as well. 
Yeah, and that, just to be clear, you know, in a split pot game, for those who have not played a split pot game, uh, the pot is cut at the end of the hand, will be divided in half, and the winner of each board will get half the pot. Of course, if you have both boards covered, you win both boards, you scoop the whole pot, but a lot of times that doesn't happen. And the reason it's so good to have uh, split pots for bomb pots is because of what uh, Josh is sort of getting at here is um, there can be some really insanely strong hands in a bomb pot. Right. Like it is not out of the ordinary, for example, for someone to literally have like flop top set on both boards. Like sure. just because you are against so many strong ranges, you know, you, you, you really can't rule anything out. As, and especially also when you get into like Omaha bomb pots where you have four cards and you can play different cards on each board. You know, you could have sets and flushes on like different boards and things just go absolutely crazy in terms of hand strength. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the critical thing in a bomb pot is really not to overvalue your hand. And that means from a betting and a calling standpoint. I mean, typically in Hold'em, you know, folding a pair on the flop is like almost never correct. I mean, it's not literally never correct, but it's something that you should do very seldom, especially in a heads-up match, in a heads-up uh, hand. But uh, in a bomb pot, you should be folding second pair uh, or worse, aggressively. And even yeah. some weak top pairs. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. And and this actually brings me to another point that I that I was going to talk about specifically on a two-board bomb pot. It is way better to be betting when you have a a hand that is nutted on one board and nothing on the other than to bet a hand that's middling on both boards. Mm -hmm. Because because it's a split pot game, you can often kind of go like literally make a value bluff where you get basically get people to like fold a hand that you would otherwise be chopping with. You know, it's it's like a weird thing, right? Where you act, even though you have like a board locked up, right? Let's say you have like seven, six, and one board is eight, four, five. So you've got the nuts. And one board is like ace, king, queen. So you've got nothing. You know, if, if you just like go play super aggressively, you can get people off like, you know, like you can get people off like king, queen a lot of the time because some people do play like so tight. And then, like, you are just, like, free-rolling, basically. And you you just, if you know you have a board one, you know, there's a lot of incentive to really play aggressively, you know, to, to avoid losing the other board and splitting the pot. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that I think that it's really, the other thing, too, like, I wouldn't recommend doing a bomb pot right when you sit down at a table, because it's, it's one of those things where you really want to understand player tendencies. I mean, obviously, if they want to do a bomb pot, you do a bomb pot. But I wouldn't, if you're going to be the one recommending the bomb pot maybe recommend it after you've been there a little while and you kind of understand how folks are playing because really understanding whether someone is a calling station or a knit uh, or an omc or an aggressive type of player like really understanding those tendencies like those things get absolutely magnified in a bomb pot i mean i would say for example if someone if you know somebody is sort of a station and will call with anything um you know you can make so much money off that player in a bomb pot. Like you should, because you when you make a big hand, you know they are, and which you can do. You can make some really big hands in a bomb pot. You know that is a player who you can you can really often get stacks in against. I mean, I've definitely seen that happen. I, I don't know about you. I mean, I, I've just seen like there are players who will really overcall in bomb pots. Yeah, like the, I've definitely seen people call you know second pair on one board and a weak flush draw on the other, right? Which is just not gonna not gonna do it against someone who's betting into eight other players yeah exactly i mean this is the sort of thing to understand about the bomb pod is like almost no one is ever balanced like people do not bluff like if you think people under bluff in normal games like people under bluff in bomb pots hugely so if there's if there's some serious action in front of you and you don't have a really nutted type hand you can just let it go i mean you and you should but man when you have the nuts like you you can really you should not be afraid to just put money in. Yeah, and there's kind of a lot of interesting thoughts on this uh, on these type of hands. For example, you know, I think I've I've read a couple schools of thought that basically say, you know, when you're early position, just because of how strong ranges are and how many people there are left to act, and you have a really strong hand, 
it's okay to literally like never bet from early position and plan on check raising you're super strong and just trying to pile the money in you know when you actually got one of those nutted hands rather than kind of betting and letting everyone else follow along for that price mm. yeah I've, I, that's a really good point uh too i mean <clears throat> just a way to navigate these boards yeah i mean i think position is really you know position is always important in poker but in bomb pots it does make a big difference you know being on the button in a bomb pot i mean you really have so much you have so much of an advantage because if their crazy action occurs in front of you i mean you really don't have to stick around with anything you know i mean you can just know you can gauge really how strong your hand is a lot of time just if it checks to you uh you know you can decide like hey am i willing to face a check raise with this hand or not and then you know a lot of times you can just take your strong hands as a check or you can you know, start to induce people to pile money in um, versus, you know, from early position, you are really a lot like like Josh was saying, you're a lot more dependent on what everybody else does in the hand. It's not usually wise to open the action, especially in a PLO bomb pot. I think in Hold'em and a Hold'em bomb pot, um, you can I, I think you can lead out a little bit more. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I think in Hold'em, you know, there's obviously just less combinations of hands. There, there are more opportunities for you to sort of lead out. And again, even if you do happen to lead out with a hand that you think is, is pretty strong, but, you know, might not necessarily be the top of your range, you could still fold to, like, crazy action. You know, to, to, to your point, Mike, about how people kind of have those tendencies, like, under bluffing, kind of magnified in bomb pots. I think a lot of these tendencies wind up being magnified in bomb pots, right? I mean, kind of, we, we talk a lot and we've talked a lot on the podcast about how people often view themselves as quote priced in, you know, when they, uh -huh. you know, when a lot of people call in front of them and they're like, well, it's only 10 more bucks and there's five other people I should just call. It's even worse in, in, in bomb pots, right? If, if a guy, if a guy bets at eight people and like six people call, like you just should like, you know, never there's what, what hands should you really be calling with? Right, exactly. Like, you can think about it as like, you probably are never priced in to a multi-person hand in a bomb pot. You know, you're basically like should be raising your folding at that point. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Right. So, so just a couple of thoughts on you know how how to how to exploit and, and avoid being exploited yourself. Absolutely, and you should you should really you should play bomb pots. I mean, you should encourage your local table to your, your tables to do them. You know, get your get them going at your local casino if they're not going because they're a lot of fun and they really can be profitable if you know how to navigate them. There is one thing I will recommend though about this, which is do not play if you can help it. Do not play single board pot limit Omaha bomb pots. Would you agree with this, Josh? Yeah, can you can you explain a little more for people who maybe haven't played as much Omaha or yeah. Omaha bomb pots as we have? Absolutely. In a pot limit Omaha bomb pot, there are in a single board pot limit Omaha bomb pot, there are so many combinations of hands out there. Like, you know, as if, well, think about it like from the double board example, right? In a double board game, there's so many combinations of hands out there like somebody's making the nut. You know, that's still true in a single board pot limit Omaha bomb pot. Somebody's making the nuts. The only problem is there's no split pot there to act as sort of a security uh, web for you to get it in with like, you know, a second best hand on one board, but still win the other. That's not happening. There's one board and somebody has the nuts on that board. And if it's not you, you should fold. You should fold so many hands in a single board pot limit Omaha bomb pot. You should basically never fold the hands or sorry never put a, bottom, a bunch of money in with hands that aren't enough i i think that it sounds exaggerating but i really think it's true and even worse right there are times when you can have the nuts in potlamid omaha specifically because of how the game works and there are just so many cards out there that it is very easy to have the nuts and be crushed yeah like for example if in in my example right let's say let's say it's eight four five on the flop and you have uh and you have seven six and you flop a straight well, you know, you might be up against 7-6 with a set or 7-6 with a flush draw and just be, like, absolutely dominated. Like, this is just why single board bomb pots are just so, so rough because there's so many cards in people's hands that, like, interact so much with, with the board that there's just no opportunity to, to really, like, you know, there, there's not as much play as maybe we would like. 
Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So definitely, bomb pots are great. Hold them. Double board PLO are the common ones. You can also do goofy stuff if you want. You know, play like crazy pineapple bomb pot. Josh and I did that at one drunk two a.m. in in uh, southern New Hampshire. That was a good time. But um, you know, single board PLO not the best. Yeah, well, well, absolutely. I mean, I think that I think that's a, a good all all good points or all, all points at least. And if if you guys have other advice on how to play how to play bomb pots, our listeners, please leave a comment. Let us know how you'd like to do it and uh, what what your tips are for for making money there. Uh, should we move on to the the next piece of our uh, fumbling fundamentals? Absolutely, absolutely. So the next topic we wanted to discuss here is about. Some sort of it's something we've mentioned on the podcast before. It's a little bit of a, a, a interesting trick, exploitative trick at low stakes uh, games. You know, one two, one three, two five that you probably can't really apply in higher stakes games, which is about getting value with marginal, sort of marginal made hands. You know, not the strongest type of hands where a hand that you might want to go for two streets with. Um, so. You know, an example of like, you know, a top sort of like a top pair medium kicker, like a king queen, maybe on like or or a king jack on like, you know, king, you know, king nine ten or something like that. You know, like, yeah, you've got a reasonable hand, but um a lot of times uh if you were to go for three streets of value with this hand, for example, you would you would not you would lose. You know, you are not going to get three streets of value with this hand. Uh, almost ever um and a lot of times the theory goes with those hands you know you can see bet the flop for example and you can get called but then a lot of times you're going if you're in position you're going to want to check back the turn uh and then possibly go for a second street of value on the river depending on what your opponent does um and i would say that that's true in general against competent opponents um but when you're playing against less competent opponents what i've found has been a big a big exploit in my games that's won me money is you take your two street hands your two street value hands and instead of going for the flop and river you try to get value on the flop and turn and the reason for this uh is because players will call you with so many bad draws that they will not on the turn, which they will not call you with on the river. And at these stakes, people almost never check raise their draws as a bluff. So you're basically just getting money from these trash gut shots or even open-ended straight draws or flush draws that simply uh, are just hanging on. They don't have the odds to call, but they're calling anyway. And you're going to get that money from them. And then when they miss the river, uh, or even if they don't miss the river, the river is just going to go check, check anyway. Um, so it's sort of, uh, because they're so unlikely to raise you, it's sort of like a, a free way to get that extra value. Yeah. Does that pretty much sum it up? Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's definitely, you know, there's a lot of facets here where, you know, just as Mike said, just cause, because a lot of it is just because people aren't bluffing enough where, you know, ordinarily you might think, you know, I can, if I check back the turn with my, you know, top pair weak kicker. And someone, you know, bets river, I can call. And if they check, I can go for some thin value. But really, you know, there's just so, as he said, there's just so many hands, you know, pair plus gut shot, pair plus straight draw, just bad flush draws that are going to pay you off on the turn because people love calling with draws. And then they're going to, you know, th then they're just going to give up the river and you won't be able to get paid off. I another aspect I would say is that there are also a lot of scare cards that definitely have more impact in these low stakes games. You know, where in your example, right, if we have King Jack or King Queen on, on King 10-9, you know, and, and the turn is a brick and it went check, check, and the river is an ace, like people are just going to wind up like folding kings or like a hand that we otherwise could have gotten value from because like this this scare card comes off that, that they kind of perceive as being more impactful to our range than maybe it, it actually is right yeah that's absolutely part, that's a yeah. really good point because i mean yeah that like players really aren't thinking it they're not going to think like oh well i have to defend with my kings here with my you know king eight or whatever i have to defend with my king eight here as played 
because you know that's how I balance my range. Like, no, that's not what's going on here. You know, they just they have a king. They see an ace. You were you bet preflop and see bet. They're scared. They fold on the river. And and you don't want that. You want to get value from those king eight type hands. And you know they're going to call you on the turn. Uh, they're going to say, oh, I'll call one time. You know, or things like that. And, and you really um, you want to take advantage of that. I mean. When you when you have the, this player type that is not liable to check raise you as a bluff, you can really get away with this stuff. I mean, as you go up in states where there are players who are playing their draws this way as a check raise bluff, you know, and you have a marginal made hand, the worst thing that can happen is you go for value on the turn and then you get blown off your hand by a check raise. I mean, you probably shouldn't be calling a lot of check raises with King Jack on King on King Ten Nine. Um, I mean, maybe you do because you're actually blocking uh, the nut straight. But um, but in general, you know, there are lots of other I mean, it depends. It's going to depend on the suit distribution and all this other stuff. But bottom line, there are a lot of hands that you can absolutely get blown off by a check raise on the turn, which um, you you just won't. You just won't be at these low stakes games, which is, it's sort of remarkable, but it, but it's true. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, it's kind of it's very related to sort of you know a well-known you know, live low-stakes exploit where people just aren't bluffing enough, and it's always better—not always—it's often better to go for thin value rather than hope you know that someone bluffs into you. It's kind of the similar situation where if people have missed draws, you know, you might think you know that, or the theory might say, or someone might think in a in a more aggressive game, you know, let's say let's switch this scenario to being out of position. Where you might think, oh, if turn goes check, check, and then I check river with my weak pair, you know, they're going to bluff with a missed draw. But, like, they aren't. Like, people at live low stakes just aren't going to be bluffing their missed draws enough. You know, you would rather just bet turn and then have the river go check, check, have them say, I missed and shake their head dejectedly. Exactly. That's a, that is, like, it's, it's like a scene from a movie that will play out over and over again. Uh, and they'll also say something like, why am I always chasing? Um, yeah. And yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, that, that's what they say in Florida. Do, do you hear that one much in Boston? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes they like show their cars to the dealer and, you know, they're like, oh, you couldn't have put a heart out there one time. Exactly. I mean, it's like the, they never think to raise with their draws. And, and, you know, that's good for us. You know, if we're out there trying to exploit these players and make money from them, it's like that's a tendency uh, we should absolutely be observing. I mean. I will say, you know, to sort of, you know, finish this out, it is possible to take these things, like take these ideas of like, oh, people at low stakes don't bluff or whatever, like to the extreme and sort of uh, you open yourself up to being exploited quite a bit. I think if you are really just like there, I have played against a lot of players who say, oh, at low stakes, no one ever bluffs. So I just fold whenever anyone bets big. But I, I don't think that that is necessarily correct i think that there are absolutely lots of money to be made from picking off spazzes in particular um yeah you know like so i i wouldn't agree that you know players at these levels never bluff but i will say that you know it's it's they definitely bluff too little and it's something you can take advantage of well i i think to your last point it's something that we've talked about and even gone over hands on the podcast right where we kind of recognize and it's important to recognize that you know players who don't understand theory can often still get kind of an understanding of theory or have you know just just they don't think about it the same way you know they can perceive weakness or capped ranges kind of in their in their own way and think you know as we've said i think we've gone over hands where people basically start firing on the turn in position you know if you check the flop and the turn you know and and it's important to not just think oh he's betting big here i fold right my top pair or something that i've slow played or that i've run into you know and instead think well, you know, this is actually a different type of tendency where when where players do bluff in these sort of situations where they perceive weakness and they think they can kind of blow you off. You know, it's not like yeah. it's not like all these players are stupid. Like that's that's not at all what we're what we're implying. It's just sort of their, uh, you know, they might understand the game a little bit differently um, th than we do. And, and they are still certainly, you know, taking bluffs, making making spazzes and, and trying and, you know, attacking when they perceive weakness. Yeah, well said, well said. Uh, they're not stupid, we are. Exactly. <laughs> and you are too, because you've just wasted another hour uh, listening to us prattle on about our bad play. So thanks for doing that with us, though. We, we really do appreciate it.
Um, and we do hope that you will like, comment, and subscribe uh, to our channel. It really, uh, like we said before, makes us feel good when people do that. It gives you a special place in our heart. Uh, it makes you more likely uh, to be thought of fondly uh, in this life and the next. And and as they say, you know, when the numbers go up, you know, it means you're having more fun. So that's, that's just what true. we're looking for. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure as always, my friend. Yeah, same same to you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Let us know uh, how you felt about the segment. Uh, and if you'd like to hear more Fumbling Fundamentals in the future, we would be happy to bring you some more. All righty. Bye, everybody.